This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 42 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, but we all know them by now. Come on. They're just DCU to all of us. And not only is DCU a great place to do your banking at, but they're also a great place to work. And they are hiring right now for full and part-time positions. And I know it may seem a little strange to try and visualize yourself at a new job right now. But at DCU, they're here to help you make the change, along with offering a benefits package that includes three weeks vacation, a competitive salary, a generous bonus program, 401k plan with 100% company match up to 7%, plus tuition reimbursement, a student loan payment assistance program, and so much more. So to learn about DCU and their career opportunities, Visit dcu.org slash careers. DCU is proud to be an equal employment opportunity and affirmative action employer. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by mistresscarry.com, which is where you can find every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. They come out every Wednesday, plus every situation report, which is all your headlines in rock and music in less than five minutes every weekday. And if you're looking for video content, every episode of Cocktails in the War Room, the video show I host live every Tuesday night at 8.30 on my Facebook page. We're up to 124, by the way. Plus, my blog is there, my photo galleries, the events calendar that is filled not only with virtual concerts, but actual real live concert dates as well. And of course, the official online Mistress Carrie store. And there's some great stuff coming for Mother's Day. Just go to mistresscarry.com for everything. Okay, episode 42 is another opportunity for me to introduce you to a band you may or may not know. Thrasher from Escape the Fate has that rock and roll story that everyone thinks of. Showing up in L.A., trying to get a music career started. And it's exactly what he did. And now, not only is he the guitar player in Escape the Fate, but he's also mixing and producing music with Travis Barker from Blink-182. His story is pretty fascinating. And we talked music, guitar, Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul. Of course, we talked about what he's been doing during the coronavirus lockdown. Plus, we talked about Eddie Van Halen and the upcoming Escape the Fade album, Chemical Warfare, which is coming out on April 16th. I really loved talking to him, and he's a super cool guy. So I can't wait for you to get to know him. So allow me to introduce you 
to Thrasher from Escape the Fate. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely, pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your bra on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the Band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. This is Marilyn Manson, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to. Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm on the record. Now, now you're on the record now. Got it. How are you? It's nice to meet you finally. Nice to meet you too. I'm doing great. Um, you know, honestly, just waking up this fine, beautiful morning, just pulling late nights at the studio, working day to, every day of my life. Well, Loving before it. we talk about what you're working on in the studio, what can I call you? Thrasher, Thrash, Kevin? Do you care? How do, I don't really care. I got I got a K for, for Kevin, uh, just to remind myself. Um, I, I guess Thrasher, Thrash, K Thrash, Kevin, Kevin Shredderline. Ooh, that's interesting. K Shred, uh, Kevy Metal. <laughs> plenty of options out there. My mom, I think, has even begun to call me Mistress Carrie because it's been my name for so long. What's up, Mistress Carrie? Then I'll call you, <laughs> I'll call you Mistress Carrie. You could just call me Carrie. Where does that come from? Uh, all my years on the radio in Boston, uh, I was on the air at night for the first few years in my career, and people used to call and say, um, you're the other woman in my life. I spend every night with you, and my wife thinks it's cool. It's like having a mistress that I'm allowed to have. And the fact that I looked the way that I looked just kind of lent itself. So the, the listeners sick. gave me that name and it stuck. It's been, you know, 22, 23 years now. So it just is what it is. Rad. I love that. That's awesome. So where are you right now? I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in my little home studio that's like under construction. Um, so I have a guy coming in. He's going to like put up treatment and, and walls in, in this studio. Um it's kind of where I work at home, I'm doing like a ton of Zoom writing sessions, uh, some some little mixes here. But uh, I currently work at uh, Travis Barker's studio, which he has like the most beautiful facility ever. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that every single day of this quarantine. This is my new studio that I built because of COVID. I call it MCHQ, and it's it sounds very- great in there. Thank you. Yeah. And it's been very interesting when I've been talking to people to kind of get tips and be able to kind of check out all the studios that people are building at home and how they're decorating it. And so yours is still not finished, but I have high hopes that you're going to make it as cool as Travis Barker's. Yeah. I literally hired a guy yesterday. Um, His name's like Luke Lightbox is I think on Instagram. 
and he he does all the sound panels and there's like lights that light up behind all of them and he'll like measure out the room and make sure like sonically it's all all cool and, and sounds good and, and actually looks good too. I need Luke but, to come and help me with the lighting in mine. That's the only thing that lighting, I haven't quite gotten key. down right. I know. I know. Uh, speaking of Travis Barker, you guys collaborated with him. Yeah. He's basically worked with everyone and has this reputation of just working with artists regardless of genre that he just thinks are like that he just likes that are good. What's it like to work with him? Uh, he's so dope. He's like the nicest person ever. He came in and um, played drums on our song, Not My Problem, and another song called Lightning Strike, which is it's just not out yet. And um, we hit it off from there. We kind of met and then Feldy, John Feldman, who was co-producing the Escape the Fate record with me, um introduced us formally he's like this thrasher he's a producer engineer kick-ass guitarist songwriter and um if you need anyone at your spot just hit him up and we exchanged information and just like a week or two later he's like um he called me it was like january 1st of last year i was out to lunch with some friends and, and family and it was like noon and he's like hey yo uh it's travis parker i'm like yeah i know your number's safe <laughs> and he was like, can you be at my studio in 30 minutes? And I was in Orange County. And I was like, our food hadn't gotten there yet. And I was like, sure, I'll be right there. And then I, I kind of like got my car, drove over to L.A. through not crazy traffic because uh, during pandemic, uh, no one was really driving. Like during the start of it, got to the studio and then it was uh, maybe the third MGK session for Ticks My Downfall. And uh, we were working, which on is Machine Gun Kelly, by the way, in case anybody's not following yeah. what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, and then we did. I think we were working on the title track, which is takes my downfall. And I like sang those like high background vocals on it that day while engineering and, you know, played a little guitar and then ended up working on the rest of the entire record with them and just joining that team and then. While doing that, I was finishing up the Escape the Fate record, so it was a, it was a lot of work, but a lot One of, of the fun. things that you and I have in common is that we both started out early on in our career as working in a recording studio. Right. And one of the things that I learned, because growing up, I always imagined being the sound engineer behind the giant board, knowing what everything did, and being in there when like Motley Crue was recording a record and I thought it would be so yeah. amazing. And then I did an internship at a recording studio and I recorded a 27 piece mariachi band. No, and I realized amazing. very quickly that the recording studio process wasn't exactly what it looked like in a Motley Crue video. Right, yeah. And you started playing guitar at an early age and then ended up in a recording studio on that side of it as well. Can you tell me how all that started? Yeah, I have the craziest journey, I guess. Uh, I, I've been playing guitar since I was eight years old and I was always in bands. I was like in blues bands with my brother. Um, who bought you your first guitar? My parents did. I think it was my dad who, who chose to get me like an electric guitar rather than an acoustic guitar. Um, Cause he was like, my mom probably wanted an acoustic 
And then my dad was like, no, I need some electrics that'll like be louder and, and crazier sounding. And uh, I got my electric guitar when I was eight and then immediately started learning like classic rock blues. I was like so heavy into blues. I thought I was going to be like a, like a bluesman when I grew up. What were um, you playing? What were you learning when you were that age? Like, who did you look up to? I would get like those blues compilation discs and stuff. But I guess like Steve Ray Vaughn was was one one guy that I, I kind of idolized. And I would just watch this VHS of him, like his final performances in Austin, Texas. And I would just like stand in front of it and like play like him. And, you know, I even have like like a strat, like even though I don't even usually play strats that often anymore. But um, I would just copy his vibrato and copy his technique and watch that like crazy. And then eventually I got into like skateboarding as a teenager and more like punk rock music. My brother was like in a punk band and then I kind of crossed over and then eventually got into metal. And the th cool thing about metal to me was always like the guitar solos. I would like listen to the entire song, like wait for the guitar solo to happen. And um, uh, got into that side of things. And then eventually was in like, a pop punkish band that opened up for a band in Los Angeles and they asked me to join their band and I was living in upstate New York at the time. So I flew from upstate New York to Los Angeles, like right after high school and haven't looked back since. How was it as, cause I'm an East coaster as well. How was it making the transition from being in upstate New York to LA? Cause when I go out to LA, I feel like I'm an alien visiting a foreign planet. Right. Are you in the East Coast now? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm just outside of Boston. Oh, sick. Yeah, I'm from upstate New York, like Albany, capital region. It's just we're um, different people. Yeah. But I don't know. I had this feeling of like walking off that plane and meeting one of the band members from that band. And I like felt so good about it. And I was like, it, it felt like a dream come true. Like even that without even having doing anything. I'm like, I made it to, to Los Angeles. Just like the smell of LAX, which is like kind of gross, but. Well, it's like, know. you know, I mean, it, it, it's like the Guns N' Roses Welcome to the Jungle video. It's every musician's kind of idea of what success would be is showing up in L.A. and being in a band. And it's not just a yeah. pipe dream. I mean, it actually works. Right. Exactly. Um, so I ended up doing that. And then in between, I would just do all these random jobs and. Um, I, I don't know, I guess being in a band would record records and I would always be interested about what the guys in the studio were doing, but I never thought engineering was like a thing I could attain without going to school. And then eventually I got logic and I started making my own demos and I was like, and, and studying it. And then between that and like kind of learning online a lot, like I would just look up Pensado's place tips. Um, like kind of like all the online schools for audio um, while touring, I'd be making demos. I'd be making little shred things. So I'd make like EDM records eventually. And then um, after my old band had kind of broken up, I was in living in Hollywood at the time. And, and my buddy Mike was working out of a studio and he got me a job at this new studio that was being built. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And I kind of just started engineering sessions. I'm like, I can do this. And, and just walking in and everyone from like T-Boz came in for a session. We had Zendaya Coleman before she like really took off um, a lot, a lot of hip hop sessions. 
and I just started reporting and, and it's it's such a common story like yeah. the fake it till you make it thing yeah you just so like I know what I'm doing and then you just kind of fake it until you really figure it out to get that opportunity exactly um and then obviously from that point I got really interested and I would just like read and learn and absorb anything I could and then I've always had full-time bands and then uh, I guess it took the pan like I was producing bands every once in a while I'd get off tour maybe I'd make a record I would do an escape the fate record uh and then eventually started like producing escape the fate songs and and doing full albums with bands and then it took the pandemic to to full-time you know become a studio person and and write and produce full-time it yeah. is really interesting to hear musicians stories about dealing with covid and the lockdown and the life adjustment for people that are so used to being on the road all the time right yeah and how they're adjusting to being stationary and being forced to learn new skills and adapt to this environment that none of us really saw coming myself included yeah i mean we we came we were doing almost up to 200 dates a year um in escape fate i remember we we had a magazine article it was like us and shine down for the most tour dates in one year and we went from that to uh to not touring but i was like i was already gearing up before kind of to to always be in the studio i had, I had like multiple projects going i was doing co-writes on zoom already and, and just doing anything possible to work with artists and, and record as many musicians as possible and um yeah i mean i guess travis like really trusting me to be a part of his team so it's just us two making like a lot of these records like and we'll have like artists come in and sometimes co-writers will come in and um you know yesterday our schedule was kind of like finishing up drum arrangements on a lot of songs and we're going back and forth like running from the studio to his car to listen to mixes and we're just like going kind of back and forth i love that you can be in a studio with state-of-the-art equipment and that people still want to go to their car to experience the music the way that they yeah. know the fans are going to hear it. I love that. Totally. Yeah, we have the craziest studio ever. Uh, I wish I was there so I could show you guys. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful state-of-the-art studio. And it's like sometimes being in there for like 13 hours, your ears are fatigued and you get in the car and you're like, oh my God, this bass is way too loud or... The drums aren't like sitting right with the song or, or the vocal is is not like exactly where it needs to be and it kind of like you get a fresh perspective on everything there's a um, great saying that you know if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room yeah what have you learned collaborating and working with a guy like travis barker man i've learned how to record the hell out of drums and um and edit them to perfection I mean, he has the craziest ears. I, th I thought I had like crazy ears because I was always like the person that would find mistakes or find things that were wrong with recordings. And and then he would go through me and he'd be like, there's something happening like right here. At, at, he would just call me because like, sometimes he'll, he'll like go home and I'll, I'll be at the studio like working or editing or mixing. Like there's something happening. I'll be like, I'll look at the session. There's like a drum is like, like a snare drums like out of phase with like a snare sample which like 
makes it sound a little smaller. And um, it's something that you would just fly through a song and not hear that single snare drum a million times. But he hears those those little things. So it's like, in order to reduce amount of notes, I've gotten like very, um, you know, particular and and more detailed oriented on on that sort of thing. He's a great yeah. example too of somebody that when you see him playing the instrument that he plays, you just know he was born to be a drummer. Right. Exactly. He's just so at home in that place in that throne. Exactly. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, we'll, we'll, he'll play drums all day and be like, fuck yeah, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm so excited to like be playing drums today. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um, because some people will be like, ah, oh, just just like, let's just copy and paste it or, you know, let's punch it. And he's like, no, I'm just going to get it right. Like, let's just do it, you know? There's a lot of people that say that about you playing guitar, that you just look so natural and that it just looks like it was just always meant to be in your hands. I, I love playing guitar so much. I like forget it sometimes because I've turned it, I've like worn this engineer producing mixer hat and I, I always have to remind myself I'm a guitar player. So I'm always like, you know, he'll, I'll be tracking him and I'll just like kind of like have the guitar in my hands and be like doing that on the keyboard. And I'll just be like making sure I'm keeping my chops up at the same time. Like yesterday was like a prime example where it's like we had like a 20 minute break. I was kind of like sitting there and I was like, Grabbed, grabbed one of the guitars and just like started playing. I'm like, oh my God, I like, love this so much. So It's been really interesting hearing guitar players talk about the influence of, of the loss of someone like Eddie Van Halen to what the guitar is and, and what it wouldn't be without him. Yeah, You talk about a guy like Stevie Ray Vaughan and being super inspired by blues guitar players. But can you talk about your inspiration from someone like Eddie Van Halen and, and how he influenced you as a player? That's crazy. You brought him up specifically yesterday. I like I have like a Kemper, which is like a, a digital profiling amplifier that has a million sounds in it. And, I'll, and I wanted to plug in the guitar after Trap left and we we're kind of like wrapping up. I was doing some mixed notes. I was like, I wanted to plug in that guitar. I was just kind of noodling in. So I plugged it in. I, I I put on the mains and I flipped through a couple settings and one of the setting was an uh, EVH like amp setting. And it was like exactly eruption. And this was yesterday, like this morning at, at like 2.30 AM. It was literally rocking this thing. So funny. You have it on your phone. You're playing it off of your phone. I was I was gonna I was gonna play it. I was gonna put it on Instagram. I was just like got the guitar. It was in the EVH setting, and I just started playing Eruption. Um, but yeah, that dude is one of my biggest inspirations for sure. Um, his passion for playing guitar and like just like the look of his face and like how happy he would be. Like he would just look so stoked to be playing guitar anytime you'd see his face. He'd be smiling. Well, there are guitar players that that play the guitar, and then there are guitar players that look at the guitar differently than yeah. other people do. There's a guy like Hendrix. There's a guy like Eddie Van Halen. There's a guy like Tom Morello that are like, 
you know, I think it can do more than just have six strings and kind of hold it this way. That it's like, I think I'm going to unplug it and wire it upside down and add all yeah. these other things to it. And yeah, the innovation. And just like right now, holding a guitar in my in my like lap, it's like so comforting. So well, like funny. like people that are listening to this and can't see you, it's just sitting there on your knee, like it's part yeah, it's of just you. Like, it's like what, what it feels like sometimes you can't be without it. I know, I know. Need to let it go. No, I <laughs> love that there are so many newer bands that are so willing to talk about some of these older inspirations. Cause I feel like in the nineties there was, there was a time when like it wasn't cool to talk about how inspirational some of that eighties music was like, it had such a stigma about it. And I think now it's like people have really understood that it wasn't just all hairspray and lipstick, that there was a lot of innovation and there was a lot of talent behind the spandex and that people are really now willing to kind of go, yeah, we got kind of snobby in the 90s with the flannel and trashing right. all the shredders. And now it's like, I there know. was some really cool shit back then. Well, guitar playing is like popping back up. It's like, it's the best time to be a guitar player right now in music. It's like, it went away for such a long time and everyone thought EDM was taking everything over. But now it's like the new generation that I'm like so blessed to be working with and stoked to be working with all these kids that are like like I, I never saw myself as like the older dude of the room but now I feel like it sometimes because I'm I'm telling them about these artists and um Tommy Lee came into the studio recently like just like last week um because he was filming something with Trav and they're talking with an artist in the room he's like I don't even think he knew who Tommy Lee was but he's like um it's just crazy because we're, we're showing these kids like these guitar influences and they're like, I want to learn how to play guitar. And they're like 18, 19, 20, 21. And it's like a cool thing to be able to learn guitar right now. And yeah, like some of the TikTokers are like getting guitar lessons and and they're like at home, they're practicing like power chords and they're learning like Nirvana and Blink-182 and Green Day. And they're like, checking out Motley Crue and stuff and like this is so sick it's like it's come like full circle well talk now, about another guy that looks like he was born to play the drums right yeah exactly. you just see him behind a kit and you go oh that's where he's supposed to be absolutely yeah yeah one of my favorite bands as well and I think I, I loved like the, the hairspray and like the whole aesthetic part of them I thought they looked so badass and like they looked like characters it's like, yes, I'm wearing makeup, but I am not above hitting you with a bottle and kicking the shit out of you in an alley. So badass. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so they definitely influenced my band for sure, because we there's been different like movements of, of like the emo pop punk world where we took pop punk and turned pop punk like more to like the metal side of it and put guitar solos in it. And now it's it went to like trap. And, and and like SoundCloud rappers and now SoundCloud rappers are going back to like the pop punk world and like ripping off like old old punk bands almost. And well, that's where hip hop started. Know. Right. You know, yeah. like I interviewed Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC and he always talks about how those early hip hop artists were making loops from those old vinyl rock records. And so to watch 
rock happen, stealing from the blues, and then yeah. to watch hip hop steal from rock, and then to watch rock get ingratiated with hip hop and rap for a time. And now you're seeing all of these hip hop artists go, oh wait, rock is kind of where it's at now. It's just really interesting how these two musical formats continue to kind of feed and inspire each other. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's so dope. Um, like you guys worked with Post Malone. Or no, you've yeah. covered Post Malone. Yeah, Escape the Fate, we did some Post Malone covers. We did, yeah, went out during the, the quarantine and uh, met up with Craig in Arizona. I just made a drive down there and um, yeah, we did a Post Malone song. We did a, a Linkin Park song. And um, yeah, it's all, and he's a huge metal fan. Like we went to his show in Atlanta and backstage, it was like your typical like rap party sort of thing with like blunts and like beer and everyone kicking around. And he was playing like these theater shows at the time, like same venues like we were playing. And we're like, we would never be able to smoke in our green room, but like they're getting away with it. Sick. But he's blasting Pantera when we walk in the room and like singing every single word to it. Um, well, it's interesting to watch an animated music video of Post Malone and Ozzy. Yeah. It's like we're really living in the future right now. It's so dope. I love it. Yeah. Do you remember the name of your first band? I'm always so curious about the early stages in a musician's career. What was the name of your first band? My, my first band was called the Suburban Blues Experience, which which my dad named it probably, which is like very dad name for a band. <laughs> <laughs> you guys will be the Suburban Blues Experience. I was like, I, I loved it, but my brother played drums or played, still, he still plays drums. Um, and it was just a two piece and we played like he he worked in downtown like Albany, um, like right across the street from the Capitol at this like architecture firm, like this old like brick building. And right next to it was the the Red House or Red Square. And it was like a bar that everyone would go to after work. And, and that was our first concert was this little dive bar next to his office. And I had a, I had my like guitar and like a little wireless plugged in. And I was like playing to all like his like work. Like all the ladies <laughs> playing guitar solos, like yeah, throwing picks out and stuff. There's probably like 15 people there. One but of the other things that I fun. know you and I have in common is that we both appreciate the Beatles in a major way. Did you get yeah. that from your dad? Yes, I think so. Um, yeah, he definitely tried to teach me the classics. Yeah, so. It's the soundtrack to like my childhood that I get from my mom. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the thing that kind of diver diversified me as like an artist and producer and that kept me open-minded, like I had this crazy shredder guitar teacher for a moment and he always told me to like, like always like do everything. And then my mom, on the other hand, was always into like, she's like, I come from like a, a Hispanic background. She was like listening to like Hispanic music, like Spanish music and like, pop records and pop radio so i was like always listening to that and then had like the rock and, and blues and metal side on the other side so that's probably like where for me it's like a whole melting pot of, of music i'm just down for creating great art well i think that's where great music comes from it's like stealing a little bit from everything to to turn it into something new totally yeah 
Can you talk to me about, I, I always ask bands and musicians about how it is to create something so personal, lyrically, musically, to like bear your soul into this music, and then to work with someone that is not in the band as an outside producer that comes in and kind of gives you constructive criticism and steers you in a way as someone that doesn't have any musical ability. I would take that so personally, right? That someone is listening to something that you just dumped out of your soul and they're like, "Eh, it's not quite right. Can you tweak it here or there? You're in this interesting position where you're producing other artists as an outside person, but then you're also having to turn that producer had on yourself and to critique the guys in your own band to produce Escape the Fate records. How is it taking the guitar player hat off and putting the producer hat on? Um, that is has always been a challenge in my band, and that's kind of why we've always hired producers as more, not so much to like create the music, but more to be a referee for the band. Um, you know, that's kind of how I see them. They'll, they'll Referee see, is a good word. Yeah. And the strongest idea wins, you know, and the strongest personality sometimes wins. So I've, I've learned just to, to you know, in the studio, I've stepped it up and I'm like, well, to get my ideas happening and, and my songs happening, I just need to like go do it and show people um, what it is, you know, instead of talking about it. Just, just being about it, I guess, where I'll just record the ideas that I have instead of explaining what type of song or sound I want to have. And uh, that makes it a lot easier. And, and I've, I've just kind of like, you know, like a bull just like charged through and just like, like okay, I'm just gonna like create whatever I want to. And that's, I guess that's what I do. <laughs> In rock as a genre, we've had so many examples of people that have been so influential and have dumped so much of their personal trauma and experience into their music. And it comes up a lot in the podcast that we then take it on as a product, as entertainment. And then when you turn around and you see those artists not be able to handle what they've been putting into their music, i.e. Chester Bennington, Chris Cornell, the list is way too long and not just by suicide, but by addiction and all of these things. When you're putting so much of yourself into your art, how do you get over the hurdle of, of wanting other people to hear it? Because I would think that if you're putting trauma into your music, then it makes you have to relive your trauma every day that you play it. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it definitely gets tricky. And that's probably the hardest part of songwriting, which I had to figure out was um, you kind of at some point have to like not care about anyone else's opinions to, to write the, the material. And you just have to be like, it's kind of like bold and brave to be writing about your personal life and, and things that you've been through. And, um, but that's a huge hurdle to get over and not just in music. I ask because we're in this point 
where we're talking about mental health and suicide and addiction and all of these things, not just in the musical world, but because of COVID, this is a universal message. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, how does an artist, how do you get over that hurdle where you get to the point where you're not caring about what everyone else thinks anymore? Because that's a hard leap for a lot of people to make. Yeah. I mean, it would it would start out for me. It would be like it, w- it would take like a few drinks or a few shots to to get lyrics out, and and you know my best songs would always come from like you know being a, under a, a substance or something. And um, I guess eventually I started songwriting with so many people that it became like kind of a job just to to write songs regularly. So. I kind of like took that part away from me just by doing it so much. But um, how do you coach a new artist that you're producing through that process? I guess a lot of it comes from, you know, having a a normal conversation with them and and coming in like every co-write that I do, we're kind of talking about their lives and what they've been through and what they're going through. And usually that leads to a song and it happens just, it, it just kind of feels like therapy on both sides. And, um, and I can always like relate from some moment of my life because I've been through so many different experiences and I guess just having that, like relating to one another and, and the fact that it is okay. And the fact that other people have probably experienced what you've experienced before and knowing that, like, when you're going to sing about that painful experience that it's like, it'll resonate and, and, you know, actually help to heal other people because they'll they'll find commonality within it. That's been one of the parts of the debate with a lot of musicians since COVID is do we release new music now or do we hold it and wait until we can tour? Escape the Fate has decided to release a new record coming in April. Yes. Talk me through the debate with the band and everyone involved with the record about whether or not chemical warfare is going to come out now or you're going to hold it and wait to be able to go out on the road and play it live how did you get to the point where you guys were just like we're just releasing it i mean it was driving me nuts personally because i was on the other side of the the window looking at mgk that like he crushed it this quarantine like last year we were making the record and and him and travis started making these covers and the covers were every cover that they released was going viral and going crazy on YouTube. And there was no one else releasing content or music. And, and it was so genius of them. They saw the first one um, come out. And it was just getting, it was, it was literally everywhere. Um, and I was like kicking myself because I was like, my band is like not getting it yet. Like you like when things like a pandemic happen to a band, you can't be like, you can't like just like turn away from it and like, you know, be like, oh, we'll just release stuff when it's over and, and take it as like a vacation or something. Cause I've never like stopped working. So I'm like, if my band's not working on something. I'm working like elsewhere. I'm going to be like, I'm always like going to be creating something. But, um, I think they finally like got it and everyone's like got on board to create content, like start releasing the record. And I thought like last year was almost when everyone's so afraid to release the records. It was probably the best year to release a record or music because 
the market wasn't so saturated with artists releasing stuff because everyone went on pause. Um, when... so yeah, it's, it's been a tricky thing, honestly, and I'm, I'm just glad the record's finally going to see the lead day and, and come out. And I can't wait for people to be able to actually go to shows again. When's the last time you played live? Uh, the last two shows we had, we had the, we played at the Whiskey A Go Go, which was amazing. Like my now girlfriend came to that show. Um, we, we were like friends for like twelve years. Before that, we had met like after my old band uh, had gone to, like Brazil, and I came back and I like went out to a club and like met her and all her friends. We've we've been friends ever since. And we kind of like FaceTimed through the pandemic together. And then we- It's such out. a common story. Like it, yeah. it happens so often. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. So we ended up getting together after that because we were just we were just like falling asleep on FaceTime talking to each other every day. Um, and so it was like that show, Travis came out to it. His whole family came through um, Whiskey A Go-Go. And I think we had this one extra one in Arizona um when were those shows how how long ago literally like weeks before the world shut down in february of last year like i think the end of february last year and uh, we we remember like being on the road everyone got sick our, our photographer was sick in, in bed for like the entire month i got sick for like three days where i was like i felt like crippled on stage almost it's, like just like feeling so tired i'm like how am i getting through the show um everyone was like coughing and i so i think we all got it got the the covid and you just something. didn't know yeah right uh, i feel like it's it was around before the whole world kind of knew it was around um and i feel like it kind of snuck up on us a little one bit. of the things that's been really cool with and there's not that many cool things over the last year of, of the world shutting down and especially the music industry shutting down is right. that there are so many people just talking about how important live music is in their lives yes. as a fan and how important it is to have that experience and how much we miss being a part of that community. Can you talk to me about how much being a part of that community means to you? yeah it's it's honestly huge it's like I, I keep on saying in a lot of these interviews that are overseas that um like even going overseas to the uk and europe and australia is like has become like tradition like we have friends over there and we've gone there once a year for the last 10 years of our lives and for that to be disrupted is like is crazy we i've never been in los angeles for this long of a time yet I've been living in a studio, so I'm still like not fully, you know, living Los Angeles and everything shut down. But um, yeah, it's crazy. And, and I miss it as a fan. There's so many shows and so many artists that I was trying to go see and I never would have opportunities to go see because of touring and not being able to, you know, schedule in advance to go to a particular show. But um, that's one thing I do miss is, is seeing seeing live musicians as a fan as well as not only performing, but like seeing other musicians perform. Musicians are some of the most well-traveled people on the planet. You guys live on the road. You're constantly <laughs> going to new places. Where in the world have you gone 
that you would tell people listening to this when the world opens back up again and you can go to another country or another city that they're not from, where have you just loved to travel to? Man, there's so many. There's like, I don't know, there's cities that I absolutely adore and love, like like some, some funny ones that like you wouldn't think like Prague, like Czech Republic. Um, we go out there, I've gone like with my band, like probably four or five times at least. And and just like that whole city and culture, like the, the whole day of like hanging out, we go to like the, the Gothic churches and there's like this like big clock and they're, they're square. And we get like this one pastry that's out there. And there's like, I don't know, a lot of it's like food related for me. Well, that's um, that was leading into my next question is that one of the reasons to travel is to immerse yourself in the culture and you can't right. immerse yourself in culture without amazing food. Exactly. Yeah. So we do that. I don't know. I love Germany, France, obviously, Italy. Um, Australia is like one of the most beautiful places on earth. Every time I've been to Australia, it's like it feels like the one place I would probably move to. Um, South America is also really crazy and awesome, too. And huge and passionate metal fans. Yeah. On a whole other level. Yeah. I was looking at some of the videos and I'm like, man, this would never fly today. I was just <laughs> running around in a crowd, like hugging everyone be like, I love you guys. Um, it's such a powerful uh, expression of, of love, kind of like, because we, we all, our fan base is so tight. And um, I feel like I, I've met mostly all of our fans at these shows because I've always made it a point to go to merch and and meet people at our shows because I just think, I don't know, I think that's so cool. Well, so, that's part of what makes the rock community so great is that you're not this pop icon that is up on a stage that's untouchable, that the rock community, we're all in this family together. Yeah, we're definitely the type of band that, that would get pretty rowdy and we'd be like, Come meet us at the local watering hole after the show and get a drink. And then everybody shows up. Yeah, exactly. And we've definitely had our our share of of fun, crazy parties with our fans, like buying each other shots or buying like the, I remember one time we were at a bar and Craig bought the whole bar shots and it was like Something you see in the movies, right? That you just order around for the bar. It's like you see that in movies all the time. But to actually do it, like someone brings you the bill. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) Yeah. It it looks really glamorous in Hollywood to just be like, and we're around for everybody. And then somebody always kind of comes over and goes, hey. Probably $3,000. Yeah. I watched Dimebag Daryl do that. Yeah. At a show for us years ago. Like, wow. He invited everybody. We had a little VIP thing after a show that our radio station had put together. Sick. And he invited everyone into the VIP room, and the VIP room was open bar. And so he just invited everyone in, and we were going, oh my God, like, none of us can pay this bill. Like, where? And he was just like, fuck it. And he pulled his credit card out. It was like thousands of dollars, and it was the most <laughs> rock and roll thing I had ever seen in my that life. That is so rock and roll, man. Yeah, speaking of of those brothers, like Vinnie Paul took us out on, on a Hell Yeah tour. And same thing, he would always get us a, a round of drinks. And, and man, 
I Those never guys got... were really good at being rock stars. Like they were yeah. the rock star that you always imagined that they were just cool and everybody was invited to the party. Yeah, it's like, hell yeah, brother, what's up, man? Like give you a big hug and stuff. You're like, I've never met you before. <laughs> uh, They're so inviting and so welcoming. I never got to meet Dimebag, unfortunately, but. He was, I mean, him and his brother were like bookends, you know, on the same yeah. shelf. It was like, yeah. if you met one, you knew what the other one was like because they were both so genuine and down to earth. Wow. And yeah, I remember like the week leading up to our tour with Hell Yeah, um, Vinny flew out to one of our shows in Texas and he just, just came to like hang out and see the band. And I'm like, that is just so, he was a, another person that like, reminded me it's like okay to be a fan of other artists and i feel like so many artists have this arrogant vibe where they're like think they're like this holy like high and mighty thing where it's like he would wear like an eddie van halen necklace and stuff like i remember they he had he was wearing that i'm like it's cool or a kiss necklace i think it was probably and i'm like it's cool like like other they're artists. buried in kiss caskets yeah Right. So it's probably Kiss. That's and, crazy. And Dimebag Daryl's buried with Eddie Van Halen's guitar. I mean, it's they were fans of the yeah. genre and, and unashamed of their love for the artists. Yeah. I definitely make it a point, like, especially when I have, like, these crazy high-profile artists coming to the studio. It's like, I'll always tell them, like, oh, man, I'm, like, a huge fan of you, I have to say. And it's usually, like, Kind of a good icebreaker at the same time as well, you know. Kind of. When I went, I went to Dallas like a year and a half ago when we were still allowed to travel. And one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to go and make sure that I went and visited them at the cemetery. Oh wow! And I went with yeah. a group of people on motorcycles, and I knew how to how to get to the cemetery, but I didn't know where in the cemetery they were. And so we pulled into the gate. And my friends were like, well, do you know where we're going? And I was like, no, let's just ride around in the cemetery. I'm sure we'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> and going back to the point about rock fans, we look across the cemetery and saw like five dudes in all black wearing hoodies standing. Yeah. And we were like, okay, that's where we're going. And we went there and it was this mutual thing. Like we didn't speak. We just looked at each other. We knew why we were all there. Right. That group left. My group was there. We, you know, did a black tooth shot with the brothers. Wow. And then yeah. another group of people arrived at the cemetery and used us as their navigation point, getting into the cemetery to know where to go. And it was this amazing thing where you didn't have to talk to the other people. It was very solemn. Everyone was quiet, but it was just this pilgrimage as a yeah. metal fan to like you everybody just had respect for each other. It was like, okay, this is why we're here. Right. It, I totally encourage you to That's go so that when you're allowed I, to travel, to. that it just, Definitely. it really is a beautiful thing to kind of stand there with fans and nobody has to say a word because you just know why you're there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'll definitely have to experience that at some point when we're back from traveling again. I want to talk to you about some of the movie soundtracks that you guys have been a part of because okay. Um, being part of films is a whole other extension of this kind of LA experience for you. And Snow Babies came out last fall and it, the whole 
Hollywood film industry has had to reinvent itself because of COVID, just like the, the music industry. Totally. So what is it like getting your music into a movie that goes back to what we were talking about with the self-medicating and the addiction and all of that stuff? It's a pretty powerful movie and, and a, uh, an amazing soundtrack. Thank you. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, I guess we were just writing songs and that, that song kind of resonated with, with people making the, the, the movie. So they asked to um, license the song out for the movie and um, it kind of fit perfectly, you know? And, uh, you know, I was going through like a weird time in my life making this record and I was like, kind of like, had gone through darkness and, and kind of like, came out of it and was like building myself up to be like the strongest version of me I could be. Um, which like, cause like taken off since then. Um, and songs like Walk On and Unbreakable, which is coming out and like, we have another song called Invincible. It's kind of like those feelings that I was just putting into my life at the time, like kind of like almost making like affirmations. And, um, and it somehow like found its way into the music where we're making like these powerful songs about like hope and like walking on and like no matter what 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 brings you down like you'll you'll come out of it stronger than ever and um yeah i guess that that song just resonated with the director and the producers making that film and and it ended up working out and it was the first song that we've released in, in a while and now this new movie, The Retaliators, is coming out that's not only got an amazing soundtrack, but the artists are in the movie. Yeah. They didn't cast me for it. They, they Why not? Have. I don't know. Maybe I'm too busy over here in Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> I know Craig's in it. Uh, Tommy Lee's in it. Uh, a bunch of the Five Finger dudes are in it. Jacoby's in it. Jacoby, yeah. I think it's going to be super dope. Do you know when it comes out by any chance? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm excited to see it, though. Because you guys have music on that soundtrack as well, right? Yeah, we have a song called Invincible, which um, we ended up getting Lindsey Sterling to feature on. Which was uh, one of my favorite songs of the record. It was kind of like almost a heavier vibe. And uh, we got Lindsey to play violins on it. And uh, she absolutely crushed it. Uh, March 12th. March 12th is when the yeah, so, will so, come out. Yeah, so right around the time that okay. this interview is going to come out, that the movie will be out. So. so everyone out there, go see The Retaliators. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, do you have aspirations of being an actor? I mean, obviously I you're upset really... they didn't cast you in it. But... I'm a little upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, you got to cast Thrasher next time. Um, Alan owns our label, and um, I think he funded that, that film. There's some association there. Um, no, I don't really have aspirations to be an actor. I like rub my hands like pretty full. Do you but love horror movies though? Because it goes I hand in hand with rock music. Love horror movies. I love making music videos actually too. Um, but yeah, horror movies are sick. My chick and I are always watching like scary stuff year round. What you know. got you into horror movies as a kid? Which which movie that you were like, oh, okay, this is cool? I think it was The Exorcist was one of the ones that pops into my head because my mom, like, I guess she saw it when she was growing up when she was younger and it scared the shit out of her. And yeah, it scared the shit out of everybody. Me being like a, a, a young kid growing up and a boy, it's like, I just like 
probably wanted to mess with her. And I was like, let's watch The Exorcist again. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole generation of people in New England that still don't want to swim in the ocean because of Jaws. These movies right. have a way of yeah. influencing people for their whole lives. Totally. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I just thought they were always so fun. Yeah. Well, it was such an honor to meet you. Uh, finally, I mean, I've seen you guys play shows, but I've never had a chance to sit down and talk to you. Yeah. Um, I look forward to you guys being able to tour. As, Same. You know, it's like you have this album coming out in April, and I'm hoping by the end of the year you're going to be able to play these songs live. At least once. <laughs> I mean, I'm cool just playing a couple shows a year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming once you get back out on the road, you're going to be like, okay, I don't want to go home for a while. I really miss this bus life. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And like, just, just, just hanging with all the fans and playing guitars as loud as you can. That's always a great feeling. And I think yeah. we could just all use being crammed in a sweaty room, dumping beers on each other, singing really loud. Yes. All the things that used to be annoying about going to a concert, like people stepping on your feet and elbowing you. Yeah, we actually you. miss now, right? Yeah, right? Totally. I feel well, that. Well, I can't wait to be able to uh, come and talk to you again, but to do it in person. Absolutely. Let's get it. I'm inspired by your room, too. I love, I love the way you've decorated your studio. Uh, it looks awesome. Thank get, you. I gotta get it's, these walls like painted black or something. I cool. got a I got a couch back there because I was like, you know, when you're in the studio, like for me, unless I'm actually recording, I'm just kind of in here editing and whatever. And like, there's always a couch in a recording studio. You always want that lounge space for people to be able to come in and kick their feet up. And totally, it's it's cool to be able to have a a place that's super comfy that you actually want to be. Exactly. Uh, yep. I mean, people making home offices right now at home and, and it's like, yeah. you want to, you want to have that's a place where I, you I actually just, are inspired to work. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I just hired this dude. I saw his Instagram and instantly DM'd him. I'm like, you, you got to do this for him. What are you going to decorate your room with? I mean, I know you're going to get the fancy lighting and stuff, but what are you going to put in there? That's personal that you need to have yet. in there. I have a couple plaques coming in. That I'm excited about. So, maybe. do you have stuff that other artists have given you? Yeah, I've got like some collectible stuff. I've like a Motley Crue drum head signed. I've got um, a plaque for the, the MGK record, and then um, just the the Trippy Red record, which is like a rock record. So I was able to mix and engineer the the Trippy Red rock record, presented by Travis Barker. So Travis played and produced the whole thing. And um, we got Chino on a song, which was incredible to like get files sent from him. I mean, and talk it, about a, a band that took advantage of being able to release an amazing record in the middle of COVID. Yeah, they did it. And then we actually, I actually work with Clemente, who's one of their videographers. And he flew out to each individual member's home and filmed on the same camera and and spliced one of their music videos together that's a way to the way to do it you know they they figured it out for sure yeah there are ways to do i mean that five finger video with like ivan walking down the vegas strip and it's completely shut down it's like when are you ever going to get that opportunity to do that again you got to take advantage yeah, of it totally absolutely 
It's just so, so crazy. Well, I can't wait to see your studio when it's done. And Thank I'm glad you, you like yeah. MCHQ with my with my framed Muppet lithographs back there because so sick. I'm Love such it. a huge Muppet fan from like. I mean, how can you not be? You must love them. Please tell me you love them. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. An good. Animal and Jones. I have one. Look. <laughs> Somebody made me one. Oh my god, that's so sick! But this is the coolest thing. Are you ready for this? Hold on. Somebody made me. Oh my god. I'm a Muppet. That's the best thing ever. All right. This you, is Muppet Mistress. Your room wins for sure. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's so sick. Well, if you want to thrash your Muppet, let me know because I can hook you up with the girl that made it. Okay. Do it. Yeah. I'll contact <laughs> you after this. Hell yeah. It was such awesome. a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for being nice so generous you. with your time. And of course. good luck with the record. It's out in April and we can't wait to see yes. you guys out on the road. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. There he is, Thrasher from Escape the Fade, or should I call him Kevin Shredderline. Of course, the new Escape the Fade album, Chemical Warfare, comes out on April 16th, and um, I love talking to him. Just a super cool guy that has really interesting perspectives on studio work and guitar playing. The corresponding playlist for this episode is absolutely awesome. It's linked in the show notes of this podcast, along with Thrasher's social media links and all of the info on Escape the Fate. And of course, that's where you can find me as well. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast so you don't miss anything. Full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, you get the sit rep every Monday through Friday, and that's all your rock news and music headlines in less than five minutes. And if you don't mind, give us a five-star review and leave a comment so we know what you thought of the episode. Once again, huge thanks to Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org and mistresscarry.com for sponsoring this week's episode. And a special hello to everyone with a Mistress Carrie backstage pass on Patreon. Join me every Tuesday night at 8.30 live on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. <laughs>